Letter from Helvetica is brought to you in association with georgefairbrother.com and shop.saturdaymorningpress.co.uk. Letter from Helvetica by Andrew McIntosh Starring Andrew McIntosh as John and Natalie Rolls as Abby Chapter 3 Another Girl Prior to our meeting at the airport, all I knew about Zlata Yasminka Zivkovich is that she comes from the small town of Vsar on the Istrian coast and that she's a student. All other information, checks and balances I left to the elf agency I always use. They have yet to send me an axe-wielding murderer, which is all I ask at the end of the day. On the evening I brought her to Helvetica, I thought it might be a nice gesture to take her to the pub for supper as an icebreaker and to introduce her to a little local colour. I think mine hosts, Jason and Clive, would have no objection to being described thus. I had in mind that Zlata might feel a long way from her home in Croatia and might need a little metaphorical hand-holding. But like so many young people these days, she is blessed with such sang-froid that one could scarce believe that she's only just turned nineteen. Christ, when I was nineteen, I was a feckless and callow lumpkin who had never been kissed. She, though, has the advantage of being so pulchritudinous that the moment she walks into a room, a hush descends, and the lights seem to get ever so slightly brighter. Jason and Clive gave her a look laced with an acid bitchiness, caught between deciding whether to abhor or adore her. Clive satisfied himself by glancing at me wryly and saying, So, I suppose this is your niece. I simply gave him the finger in return, forgetting for a moment that Clive always says that means something entirely different to him. He flounced away to get some menus. So, in a bit, there we were awaiting our starters, and I made the usual light conversation by asking her what she wants to do with her life, to which she replies, without a moment's hesitation, cardiothoracic surgeon. I was so convinced that she'd slipped into Croatian that I smiled a kindly smile at her and asked her to repeat it in English, which she did, slowly, clearly, and as if she were addressing the village idiot, which, of course, at that moment she was. Turns out that not only is she blessed with a radiant beauty, but she also has a brain the size of Jupiter. She's recently completed, with honours, some sort of foundation course in medicine and plans to take up a place at the University of Raika after the summer halls of next year. In the meantime, she intends to travel a little through Europe but spend the bulk of her time in the UK improving her English. And who better to assist her linguistic development than a silver-tongued old devil like me? I'm making myself sound like an old perv there, but as you know, I still retain some old-fashioned vestiges of gentlemanly virtues and have an unimpeachable sense of rectitude. Strange word, rectitude. Sounds as though it should have something to do with bottoms. A back passage with an asbo, if you will. So her honour will remain unbesmirched while she resides with me, although I suspect that keeping the local young bucks at bay, including Gabriel the gorgeous gardener, may amount to standing canute-like against the approaching tide. We shall see. We shall see indeed. Zlata already speaks English very well, 
although I've noticed that in her attempts to converse idiomatically, she's picked up some rather entertaining idiosyncrasies. For e.g., I asked her how far away Raika is from Vassar, and she replied, about a hundred kilometres as the cock crows, which made me eject one of my moule mariniere out of my left nostril and halfway across the lounge bar. I pretended I'd sneezed violently, which frankly didn't help given what a moule mariniere looks like. She also later explained that in learning English she sometimes finds it helpful to spell words frenetically. At the point that I realised she meant phonetically, I actually had to excuse myself to step outside and laugh out loud to the empty street and the sky. Such was my vision of her sitting at her desk, busily writing in English at 100 miles an hour. I recount this not to belittle nor to patronise, as Zlata seems to be a very nice and intelligent young woman. It's just for your average Joe like me, it's reassuring to know that such perfection is not necessarily perfect. Also, and here's a thing, Zlata, who has been with me for a week now, so I've had a bit more time to observe, is not particularly aware of the effect she has on other people. I mean, she must know that she's blessed with a better facial and physical architecture than, say, Quasimodo's mother, but she seems oblivious to it most of the time, being more interested in matters cerebral and, I am discovering, living life to the full. The first night... She asked me if she could take a shower, to which I readily gave my blessing, cleanliness being a good sign in a housekeeper, I always think. She's using the bathroom at the end of the corridor that runs past my study, sleeping as she is in the larger of the guest rooms, yours and Richard's. I happened to exit the study as she walked to the bathroom, as joyously naked as you were in your hotel suite. I must confess I momentarily lost my usual unflappable poise and blurted a flustered apology. She turned to me and, in genuine bewilderment, asked me why I was saying sorry. I just sort of vaguely waved an arm in her general direction, and she responded by looking down at herself briefly before saying with a semi-frown, I see, you are definitely an Englishman, and toddled off to take her shower. I didn't wait to find out if she was planning to do so with bathroom door shut or flung open wide, but went to the living room and poured myself a large Glenmorangie. I must say, I was furious. How dare this young woman call me an Englishman? Could she not tell from my ever-so-faint brogue that my veins run with highland spring, haggis, malt whisky, and deep-fried Mars bars? In truth, I was rather cross with myself. I pride myself on my open mind and on my being the one who is up front and right on about nudity, sex, and so forth. I mean, Helvetica knows me as the eccentric colonel who skinny-dipped in his swimming pool, the daring old devil. This being a matter that I'd planned to bring up gently with my new home help in the fullness of time and when it felt right to do so, lest I frighten her back to her Slavic hearth. Yet here was young Zlata, who had been in the house only five minutes, stealing a march on me by being, I realised, more sorted and right on than I probably ever will be, and leaving me spluttering like a Victorian vicar. She padded into the lounge a little later, wrapped in a towel, to say sorry if she'd given me a surprise. I responded by saying that I wanted to treat Penstruther as her home, and she can wear anything from top hat and tails or bugger all if that's what makes her comfortable. 
I said that I swim in the pool in the nutty, which she thought was wonderful, and then she explained that Croatians tend to have a pretty relaxed attitude to the human body and that she was brought up in a family environment that tended to wear clothes only when it was necessary to do so. Actually, this was not even the half of it I later learned, but more of that anon. Watch the Grand National this afternoon. Gabriel asked if he could come over because his telly is on the blink and he had had a little flutter. If truth be told, a little flutter is what I think he experiences when he's close to Zlata. He suddenly seems uncommonly keen to do a little extra work on the garden and has even volunteered to do odd jobs around the house. I don't mind because I actually like the chap, even though I'm sure those little roll-ups he smokes aren't entirely made of old Hoburn. I suspect if I were to delve behind the compost heap, I might well find a nice little hemp crop nestling in the humus. But I keep my own counsel. There are worse vices in the world by my reckoning, and he's transformed my garden into something quite wonderful. And he also doesn't mind looking after the pool. And he's nice to the dogs. Anyway, there we were, watching as the horses and riders began to come together in readiness for the start of the race. Unless you've seen it a few times, it's not terribly obvious where they start from, or indeed if they have started. So they did that thing where the riders trot their mounts up to the first hedge to give them a good look. Always makes for a good shot on the telly, because the hedge appears so impossibly high. Imagine then, if you will, a close-up of a line of racehorses' noses pressed against the first fence, hot breath steaming in the April afternoon. And then Zlata pipes up with, Oh my God, do they have to start from there? There are times when even the most manly man is reduced to such hysteria that the only sound he can make is a kind of wheezing, sobbing falsetto. Of all the sounds a big butch bloke can make, it is acutely epicene, but in that moment you just don't care. Both Gabriel and I shared visions of the horses either hurling themselves headlong through the greenery of the hedge on the starter's gun, or, alternatively, doing a sort of vertical standing take-off like a springbok. Poor Zlata. I'm making her sound like a complete cretin, but she is in fact incredibly bright. To her credit, when we explained and when she realised what she'd said, she dissolved into an equally helpless pool of weak-kneed mirth. I'm so sorry if she missed the boat race. Would love to have got her opinion on that. The rest of the chase was a bit of an anticlimax. Gabriel lost his stake, and I can't even remember who won. Sorry, I know you were relying on me so that you could collect your winnings from Honest Mbote, or whatever your local bookie is called. One last thing before I close, because I do believe my supper is nearing readiness. I know you're anxious for me to be the bearer of such gossip as I can lay my ears on, so that you feel the connecting thread back to Blighty and to Helvetica. So, do you remember the ugly, fat Victorian rectory that squats at the back of the church? The one people call the big house, even though it's smaller than mine. The nerve of these yokels! Well, new couple moved into it two weeks ago. Its actual name is, imaginatively, The Rectory, but I'd gleaned that the new folks have opted to give it the alternative appellation of Kellywake. I hesitate to explain the name to you lest I insult your galactic intelligence and wisdom, but just in case it is yet to traverse your firmament, 
Kellywig is reputedly the seat of King Arthur's original court in Cornwall. Why anyone in his or her right mind would think that using such a label might be a good idea eludes me. Are they going to lay claim that their house is somehow genuinely on the site of the original Kellywig? In which case they will, with an utter inevitability, open themselves up to contemptuous disdain amongst those of us who are still relatively sane and vicious hostility from those crackpots who would hotly claim to know where the true site of Kellywig is. It's a lose-lose situation, and in any case you might as well call your house Camelot, or Atlantis, or Disneyland, or Colin. Anyway, I was in the post office stroke shop today, and there was the female of the species who proved to be completely insufferable, as I had already anticipated. Obviously a pretty blonde once in her youth, but you can't ride horses for as many years as she clearly has without the saddle bestowing bandy legs and the whipping wind imparting a ruddy and cracked complexion. She was wearing, like all of her breed, pearls and a turned-up white collar. If you ever take leave of your senses and decide to visit Peter Jones in Sloane Square, you'll find the shop crammed with them, all up from the shires to stock up with flock and chintz. She was batting on and on at the checkout about how important it is for her to source local produce, and how she can only eat organic, and how they are going to revive the Victorian kitchen garden up at Bloody Kellywig so they can feed on nothing but dandelions and chickweed or whatever. And then she said, How rude of me. My name is Euphemia, but it's such an awful name that everyone just calls me Fay. What's yours? It must be something wonderfully exotic. Don't know if you remember, but the lovely couple who run the post office have vaguely Sri Lankan heritage, and it was she who was serving this morning. She replied, My name is Jayanadani, and my husband is Dharmaratna Pushpakumara. To which fatuous Fay responded, How wonderful! Where are you from? Kettering, responded Jayanadani with an unwavering and unblinking gaze. I could have hugged her. I plan to find out much more about Euphemia and her mysterious husband, so that I can sneeringly report to you how awful they are. I look forward to that immensely. Right, I'm off. Except one extra last thing. Zlatter is about to serve me something that she says is typical of her home cuisine. I approach with trepidation, although I must say it smells wonderful. The thing is, though, she's been slaving away in the kitchen for some time now without a stitch on. I know I told her that she should wear as much or as little as she liked, but this is something that I feel a little unsure about. In actual fact, she's pretty much taken to wearing diddly squat whenever she's within the grounds of Penstrother Grange. When she walks through the front door, she will be literally stripping everything off even as she walks through the hall, telling me about the days she's had and the people she's met. It doesn't take her long to be down to her skin either, because the girl doesn't ever seem to wear underwear, which is not necessarily the most sensible thing to do in an English April. When I said earlier that she had not really told me the half of it, turns out she was brought up within spitting distance of an apparently famous nudist park called Covasada, 
where she would play as a child and where she worked in the summer holidays as a teenager. It transpires that her parents were avid nudists as well and that she and her brother grew up like naked little savages. Now she actually cannot bear, bear, wearing clothes at all, only does so under sufferance when she is out or if the temperature or self-preservation dictates she must. I honestly don't quite know what to think or how to react. I mean, on the one hand, it's really rather sweet and innocent, but on the other, she is a stunning 19-year-old, and while I may be 62, my loins are not yet completely decrepit. But rather more than that, I am sort of in loco parentis here, and while she's all grown up, if only just so, I have a duty to look after her welfare, physical and moral, and, well, am I being negligent in my duty if I let her carry on her nudist ways, or should I backtrack on what I have previously said and suggest she put something on? These are challenging times. But as it happens, I'm so hungry and the smell is so good from her culinary efforts that my belly is overwhelming my brain and all I want to do is nosh. Nonetheless, your advice would be appreciated, you being the sensible chap you are. Lots of love, etc. And big hugs to your tribe. John. Kiss, kiss, kiss. <laughs> Abby.Wesley at plantavida.com House Blanc Ophala, Burbango April 15th Dear John Well, well, well Well, 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 well There you are in a position most heterosexual men would not even dare fantasise about and yet Lo and behold, here you are all overcome with angst and confusion. It is a good sign, let me reassure you. But then your intentions have always been most gentlemanly, even if your actions have not necessarily followed suit. My friend Jane's 21st birthday party being a case in point. I trust you still wake of a night in a hot and cold sweat about that particular incident as well. All I can really say to you regarding young Slater's preponderance for naturism is, with the greatest respect, do grow up. If that's how she was raised and how she is most comfortable, then roll with it. Figuratively, of course. It is not a signal that she wants to have carnal knowledge of you. Believe me. And anyway, you and me and Richard and the kids have swum naked in your pool since, well, actually, now I come to think of it, I don't think I've ever worn something in your pool. Not ever. And you've had Penstruther Grange since I was six, if memory serves. The very idea of putting something on to get wet still strikes me as unnecessary and faintly absurd. However, Enough of all that. I can't tell you how pleased I am that you have seen sense. Realise that Abby is truly wise and succumbed to using email. Now there's a word, like your rectitude, that I always find amusant. Succumb. 
To my mind, it would make a most appropriate substitute for the clumsy and, let's face it, somewhat inaccurate phrase, blowjob. As in, I will try to resist your sexual advances, but in the end, I will probably succumb. (laughs) Just thought I'd share that with you. Anyway, I welcome you warm-heartedly to all that is good about the digital world. Email is life-transforming. If only there were an equivalent. Fee mail. You have been listening to Letter from Helvetica by Andrew McIntosh. Starring Andrew McIntosh as John Stotter and Natalie Rolls as Abigail Wesley. Brought to you in association with georgefairbrother.com and shop.saturdaymorningpress.co.uk. The series is produced by Oliver Crocker, co-produced by Rob Cook, Tessa Crocker, Michelle de Souter, Bryony Kelly, Tracy King, Paul Morris, Triona Palmer, Laura Pinifay, Lee Pointer, Valerie Rolls, Julia Thurlow and Andrew Ruff and executive produced by Andrew Dyack, George Fairbrother, Edward Kellett, Sophie Pycroft, Amanda Rotherham, Kay Scoble, and Michael Seeley. Next time, Magical Mystery Tour. If you'd like to binge Series 1 of Letter from Helvetica, You can unlock all eight episodes and behind-the-scenes content on patreon.com forward slash letterfromhelvetica. To support our development of Series 2, we are accepting donations via coffee.com. That's ko-fi.com forward slash letterfromhelvetica. (laughs) 